Hey guys, Jules here. So today I am in the studio, my little home studio, with this lovely lady. My name is Jenny Eubing. I write the blog Mama Needs Coffee, which is hosted on CNA, and I've been blogging for the past 10 years. Now, Jenny is a blogger with the Catholic News Agency, where she blogs for just a really wonderful website called Mama Needs Coffee. Now, Jenny has been in the business of blogging for a long time, over 10 years now. But what I wanted to know from Jenny first is something that most bloggers absolutely hate to talk about. So sorry. (laughs) Sorry in advance, folks. But I wanted to hear from Jenny about her absolute worst encounter online as a result of something she wrote. I had one piece, and this is the piece that I wrote that just has gotten and continues to get the most pushback. And I bet you can't guess what it is because I've written about homosexuality, about abortion, about euthanasia, about violence against women, about it was about dog moms. Okay, I wrote this piece (laughs) after going to Whole Foods one Mother's Day morning, and I observed this interaction, which it was a humorous interaction. And I guess maybe because I was like a thousand weeks pregnant, my take on it was not perhaps as charitable as it could have been. But I was also trying to like show how funny it was and people lost their minds. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, really? Of all the things that I'm going to write, this is the one that's going to get me like (laughs) death threats. Like, I hope you, I mean, I had some crazy, 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 crazies come out of the world war. This is the story of the echo chambers. In the last episode on our mini-series about the Catholic blogger, we spoke with Dr. Katherine Schmidt. Dr. Schmidt walked us through some of the early days of the blog and how the church has, or perhaps should, respond to blogging and other digital technologies. By the way, if you haven't listened to our first episode on Catholic blogging, go back and listen to that one, please. It'll provide some context for today's episode. For today, we're going to address some of the problems within our digital spaces, specifically within Catholic blogging. We must talk honestly about some of our own failings, both as bloggers and as an audience within the Catholic blogosphere. So let's start with something that we may often not think about, but very well could be considered a downside to blogging. Just about anyone can have a blog. (laughs) Now, on the one hand, this, of course, is a good thing, right? It's how the blog got started. After all, most people started their blogs for the very simple and basic reason they wanted to talk with people with like-minded interests, right? They want to keep their family and their friends up to date with their kids or growing up or their home remodels, etc. So the blog is good. Let me just say that right now. The blog is good. And there is a great way through the blog to share information and ideas. And as we mentioned in the last episode, pretty soon the church, specifically Catholic publications and ministries, started taking notice of the power that bloggers held. With the significant rise of paperless news media and online news resources, Catholic publications 
organizations started hiring bloggers as a means of attracting traffic to their website. My name is Tito Edwards. Tito has been blogging for over a decade for various Catholic websites, including even starting some on his own. And I write uh, for the National Catholic Register. I am the editor for BigPulpit.com, and I also operate three uh, other websites, CatholicStand.com, Ignitum.com, and The American Catholic. Back in 2005, just before the death of St. John Paul II, Tito experienced a deep and beautiful conversion or reversion back to the Catholic faith. His love was so deep that he couldn't seem to get enough information about his faith, and he looked just about everywhere. I was uh, visiting my parish uh, uh, CCD instructor and RCA instructor, trying to grab as many materials as possible. And uh, I knew there was the internet. I just didn't understand uh, how much information there was out there. And pretty soon, Tito discovered the world of the Catholic blog, which at the time was a small community of Catholic bloggers who were simply sharing information and questions about their faith, raising a family, liturgical practices, etc. Tito himself fell so deeply into this world that he decided to do something about it. And I discovered Catholic blogging. And one thing led to another, and I said, I just can't get enough information. Let me start my own website. And Tito, of course, wasn't the only one. Pretty soon, other popular Catholic bloggers started to gain quite a following online. We will be speaking with a lot of these bloggers in this series. Don't worry. (laughs) But this, along with the development of ecumenical blogging platforms like Pathios, meant Catholic thinkers and writers could produce material for wider audiences than were ever imaginable. But perhaps the most incredible shift for Catholic bloggers wasn't even a result of being published by the Register or Pathos or other community-sharing websites. With the rise of social media, now everyday people with a decent amount of traffic could actually make money from their blog, whether through Google advertisements or seeking independent sponsors. Now, this, of course, is a very good thing. People should be able to make money along with doing something that they love and that they're good at. But it also has created some compromises along the way. I joke with people and I tell them about my blog that I have had my blog longer than I've had my husband, which is people sort of funny. This is an old friend of mine, Sarah Babs. Sarah and I went to college together, but for the past nine years or so, Sarah has been using her talents in the blogosphere. Her blog called Fumbling Towards Grace is now featured on Catholic Pathos, but Sarah has also written for The Register and Sick Pilgrim, Millennium, to name a few. The thing I love about Sarah is her incredible honesty. She's a remarkably talented writer, but through her life experiences, she's also developed a vulnerability in her writing that is just incredibly refreshing. I asked her about what the monetization of the blog has done for the world of Catholic blogging. It's really interesting because I feel like it really touches on just the, the creative life and that tension of the push and pull of, you know, quote unquote, real work versus art. And, you know, at what point do we have to put aside art for real work when real work means that pays money? So, you know, anytime that an artist feels like they can find a way to make money from their art, 
it's a good thing, but at the same time, you you do worry about, well, will it change my art? Will it change the way that I approach things? This tension, of course, does change things. The tendency towards getting page clicks or writing catchy, but sometimes misleading titles, can dominate the thinking of even the best Catholic writers. Now, it's okay to try to attract attention, and it is certainly okay to make money off of your writing, your blog, but it does create an interesting dilemma within the American church. When just about anyone can have a blog, there are two main problems that arise. First, of course, is the writing can suffer. The best and most beautiful writings are sometimes overlooked for more controversial or even superficial topics. As we talked about extensively in our fiction series, writing is an art form. And just like all other art forms, there are those that just can do it better than others. We'll get to this topic a little bit more next episode. But I think part of my conversation with Jenny is important here. I think that it was a smaller and more exclusive market starting out because writing is kind of a self-excluding skill set. Like, not everyone can write. I mean, everyone can write, but not everyone can write enough for it to be, like, engaging. And um, social media has really changed things. So with the advent of all of the different platforms and now content is much more visually driven. That's opened things up much wider, which I think is a wonderful thing. And so people will ask often, like, is the blog dead? And my answer is always like, not the good ones, because if you're creating good content that people are engaged with, it's not gonna matter if you're not making beautiful images to go with it, because that was never the point of blogging. Blogging is about communicating through the written word. Communicating through the written word. It sounds so simple and beautiful, but one step into the Catholic blogosphere, and we know it is anything but simple. Which brings us to the other downfall of the monetization of the blog. Not only can anyone be a blogger, but just about anyone can be a Catholic blogger. Now to really dive into this, let's go back to my conversation with Dr. Schmidt, who we heard from in the last episode. There was this one phrase that Dr. Schmidt kept using, which I think perfectly sums up some of the current problems in Catholic blogging. Is that really what we're encountering is a crisis of authority? And what's going on in the church is is kind of a smaller example, I think, of what's going on more broadly, um, which is to say that, you know, when, when everybody can publish on some level, it's very hard to discern authority. It's very hard to get a sense of where someone is coming from, what kind of credentials they have. In other words, it can be hard for audiences to read one Catholic blog and be able to correctly discern the credentials, background, and personal experiences of the author. We tend to simply take them for their word, because why wouldn't we? (laughs) Dr. Schmidt gave a great example of how this crisis of authority, or what she also refers to as the democratization of the internet, can do in the realm of church teaching. There's a a theologian at Villanova named Dr. Anthony Godziba, and he he has an article about the way that papal documents look online so that they all have a similar, like visually, they have a visually similar format. And so we've sort of lost the ability to tell different levels of church teaching so that they all sort of get collapsed into this like thing called the magisterium. And there's no awareness of like, what an actual, like what's the difference between an apostolic letter and an encyclical is and things like that. This visual illustrates the larger problem within Catholic blogging as well. Two different bloggers claim to speak for church teaching, and yet each seems to be shouting different things at the audience. (laughs) For example, is guitar at mass okay? 
what is the correct implementation of Catholic social teaching in the American political sphere? What should our response be to civil disobedience? How must the priests face during Mass? And on and on and on. I think that something similar is happening with, with Catholic blogging. And so far, you, you, you have some people who are, you know, very qualified, very theologically literate, um, maybe maybe not even theologically like educated, but they're theologically literate and they know their theology and they know they know church teaching. Um, and, and then you have, you know, other folks who maybe just, uh, you know, who just say whatever they want <laughs> and they get a lot of um, they get a lot of attention. And I, I in, in terms of like sort of politically, this happens on the both the left and the right and everything in between that you have, I think, a real crisis of authority. Now, within the Catholic blogosphere, there are many, many other issues which need improving. The lack of diversity, for one thing. The Catholic blogosphere in America is pretty overwhelmingly white and middle class. Or perhaps the tendency to only highlight the positive sides of life, including sometimes the creeping influence of movements like the prosperity gospel within church writing. And of course, there's the very basic sin of pride, which can influence just about everything we say and do, and Catholic blogging certainly isn't immune to it. Here's what Father John, who blogs at On This Rock, had to say about that, by the way. You know, the first downfall that comes to mind after doing it for eight years um, is pride. And the what I mean by that is, again, like I said, when I was starting this out I was everything was new I was a new priest I had never blogged I didn't know if anyone would ever read it and it didn't really bother me if they didn't and it, it to some extent it still doesn't um, like if everyone stopped reading it or stopped engaging I, I, I wouldn't worry about that but knowing that people do uh, there is a sense of pride of like in and in, 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 like it, the, the temptation to the sin of pride like I'm a good blogger, you know, or at least the pride of like a lot of people care about or are listening to what I say. I love Father John's vulnerability here. And honestly, we could spend an episode on each of the downfalls I've just mentioned and some more. (laughs) But at the heart of all of this, at the heart of our problems right now in the Catholic blogosphere, it has to do with this crisis of authority. Who is right in the Catholic blogosphere wars? Or perhaps should these wars even exist at all? We started the show with Jenny, who blogs at the Catholic News Agency, talking about her worst online experience and the subsequent horrible things that she witnessed from people who simply had nothing better to do than threaten a young mom and her young children. Now, you know these by the internet's most favorite pseudonym, trolls. And I think most of us think of trolls in the way that Jenny experienced them. Anonymous, probably not Catholic or even Christian, has nothing better to do, maybe even just a bored teenager, I don't know. But I am just not convinced that this understanding encompasses the majority of trolling in the Catholic blogosphere. I think we need to rethink our idea of trolling in the blogosphere. And I think it may start by looking in the mirror. Any internet space, any digital space is going to sort of lay bare our worst tendencies in terms of how we deal with each other. And in many ways, I've argued that it... uh, kind of exposes sin, it sort of brings sin to light. 
Over the past few years, the sins and brokenness of our faith community have played out in the story of Catholic blogging. From the combox wars to some infighting, the Catholic faithful have been left with a little bit of a disheartening picture of the state of affairs in the American church. And all it takes is just the click of a mouse. Now, on the one hand, this, of course, shouldn't surprise us. We are fallen human beings, just like everyone else. And as Dr. Schmidt pointed out, the internet has the tendency to bring out the very best and the very worst in all of us. And Catholics are certainly not excluded from this. But on the other hand, the gospel demands better. We are called to be different. Here is Tito's take on it. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We are supposed to be uh, affecting the culture, not the culture affecting us. Now, to his credit, Tito spoke very honestly with me about his own struggles with this and the subsequent conclusions that he's come to over the years. So what I did, I told myself one year that if I can't engage in the combox or write something that is not a veiled, a subliminal uh, inference on the character of someone, then I am no longer going to write anything. At this point in the story, I want to introduce you to some bloggers who I think are some of the most interesting in the Catholic blogging community today. I am Jessica Mesman Griffith. I am an essayist and founder of Sick Pilgrim. This is Jessica, by the way, and she started the blog Sick Pilgrim, which can be found on the Catholic Pathos channel. Many years ago, Jessica's young daughter Charlotte became interested in the story of the pilgrims and their travels on the Mayflower. And Jessica, as a result, <laughs> we put together stories for Charlotte about these pilgrims, sometimes exaggerating the pilgrim's journey and creating, as you may have guessed, sick pilgrims. Now, after Jessica returned to her faith, she would often come back to this image, this image of the sick pilgrim. And she realized what a beautiful imagery it was for the state of many in the church, including those who felt on the margins. But there was something else going on in Jessica's heart at the time. She noticed there really wasn't the type of writing in the Catholic blogosphere which she liked to read. Creative nonfiction, essays seeped in mystery and even darkness. There wasn't much of it out there, or at least not in a cohesive way. So Jessica, along with a group of writers, began blogging about the separation they often felt in the church and their longing for a deeper mystery in both what they read and in how they worshipped. And it's a combination of mystery in the church and mystery in literature that we no longer we no longer work that vein in Catholic publishing. We're we're much more um, prescriptive, and we're not open to that mystery. And I see the same thing in our liturgy. We've lost that sense of, of richness and mystery, and people miss it. So I think they're very connected. The folks at Sick Pilgrim write what they call dark devotionals or spiritual, creative nonfiction about their faith. For individuals who like reading spiritual essays, the writing talent of the folks at Sick Pilgrim really is quite extraordinary. But the folks at Sick Pilgrim also wanted their writing to be honest and reflective of the struggles many of them have experienced in the church. We weren't going to fake it. You know, this was authentic 
faith life in all its ugliness, in all its messiness, and all its holiness. And I think that that is part of what has attracted our readers and our community. Now, one of the things I have become incredibly fascinated by (laughs) in this journey into the world of Catholic blogs is the way people from all walks of life have formed authentic relationships through their digital spaces. And Sick Pilgrim is no exception to this. What is beautiful about Sick Pilgrim is that it is not just a blog. It is a community of people who were attracted to the blog and then came together to discuss what was happening there. And then that kind of took off on its own. And it's become absolutely integral to what we do. I feel like I need to jump in here for a minute and offer a bit of a disclaimer. Most people will probably characterize Sick Pilgrim as a progressive-leaning Catholic blog, and yeah, there's probably some truth to that. But here's the thing, the folks at Sick Pilgrim are also incredibly knowledgeable. Many of them are reverts and converts to the Catholic faith, but they're also very honest over the years about their struggles and their disagreements with the church. They have at times written things which I sympathize with and other times when I disagree with some of their writers and that's okay. (laughs) And yeah, for the most part, they stay. They stay in this Catholic space. They stay because they are still drawn into the mystery of faith. They stay because they know God is living and breathing among the faithful in spite of the times when we may disagree. And because they stay, we need to take them seriously. If they have doubts, we shouldn't condemn them. We should talk to them, dialogue with them, engage them. But immediately dismissing them misses an incredible opportunity for genuine discussion. We can, I really believe, find some middle ground. On the left, we don't we were told, well, we don't really need to follow these teachings. So you don't, you're not seeing that struggle. Um, and we would be tempted to dismiss a writer like this as well. You know, you're just backwards and you just need to, you know, you need to let go of that kind of thinking. And then on the right, we never want to admit that it's difficult. So that middle ground is where sick pogrom thrives, where we we're there, we're trying But we admit when it doesn't make sense to us. We admit when we fail. We admit the things that we can't seem to adhere to no matter how hard we try. Pack it up one last time. We read it home. It's been a long time coming on this long and dusty road. The paths that take us far bring us back around. That middle ground. This middle ground does not mean dissenting from church teaching or instructing the faithful to do so. If anything, what I've learned from Jessica, who herself and all the folks at Sick Pilgrim have admitted their struggles, and all the other research I've done for this podcast, it's so important to listen to the voice of the faithful without immediately condemning it. Here's Dr. Schmidt again, and her take is important. There's a way in which online media collapse, this sort of flattens everything so that everything appears to be of equal weight, of equal value. You know, in terms of the freedom of the blogger, you know, I, I want to uphold the blog and uphold online spaces as, you know, real 
real potential sites for communion and real potential sites for building, you know, the kingdom of God. But by the same token, you know, in terms of Catholicism, in terms of the way that Catholic ecclesiology, you know, the way that Catholics see the church, in terms of the way that works, it's really important to maintain a sense of authority. And I, I think that one of the things about the internet is that it democratizes authority. It makes it, you know, it makes it sort of everyone's game. And in some ways, you know, the, the, the upshot of this is that we really get a sense of the census fidei, right? The sense of the faithful, you get a, more of a voice from people in the pews and people who are sort of in the trenches of parishes and things like that. But the, but the downside of that is that how do you balance that against a very, very centralized uh, authority in the church? The balancing act. This balancing act of respectful dialogue and inquiry, of not falling into character assassinations and attacks, the freedom to write honestly and openly while at the same time respecting and honoring the teachings of the church. This is where Catholic blogging can and should thrive. Catholic bloggers have the ability to rise above the overall bickerings of the internet and instead be a light for something greater. Because the greatest potential of the blog, as I see it, the greatest asset bloggers and dedicated Catholic writers can give to the church is to let their blogs be charitable places of communion. But here's something else that we need to realize. We're never going to get this all right. (laughs) There will be times when the blog helps others to go deeper in their faith and times when it will be a place that could lead to more divisions and struggles. This is just the way things are, but we have to be willing to be better. And of the many, many people who are trying to do this and are doing it very well, (laughs) there is one woman who in her over decade of blogging, in the ups and downs, the amazing successes and the devastating struggles, there is one woman in particular who is working on this blogging as communion, one post at a time. Next week on Mystery Through Manners, we'll talk to Simka Fisher. Thank you, as always, to my amazing husband, Ryan, for his support and to all of the incredible bloggers I've spoken to on this journey. I, by the way, readers, I encourage you, I wrote a blog post myself on our website just about why we chose uh, all of the different wonderful voices we did for this series. Please check that out. By the way, Jessica from Sick Pilgrim is now also the blog editor at Image Journal. If you all like reading spiritual essays, I highly recommend Image Journal as well. It's not specifically Catholic, but it's just a remarkably lovely, incredibly talented group of writers. So please check out Image Journal and also Dappled Things, by the way, another literary journal for Catholics. This coming Monday, we will continue our feature blogger series by talking to the incredible folks at Spoken Bride. We will see you then.